The preceding message is brought to you by Kingsword Everywhere Nigeria. Stay tuned after this message for more information about Kingsword Everywhere Nigeria. We're going to the book of Psalms, chapter number 51. Psalms 51. Psalms 51. Once again, I want to thank you for this glorious opportunity to be able to come and minister in this glorious house. Touch your neighbor and say, let's get ready to fly. Let's get ready to fly. Psalms 51 says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your loving kindness. According to the multitudes of your tender mercies. Request number one, blot out my transgression. Number two, wash me thoroughly from my iniquities and cleanse me from my secret sins. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sins are ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. That you might be justified when you speak. And clear when you judge. Behold, I was shaped in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts and in the hidden parts. You shall make me to know wisdom. Number seven, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Verse number eight, make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones which you have broken may rejoice. Hide not thy face from my sins and blot out mine iniquities. Create in me, 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 create in me. Come on, create in me. Say it, say it, create in me, create in me a clean heart. O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore the joy of my salvation and uphold me with your free spirit. Verse number 13, so important. Then will I teach transgressors your ways and sinners will I convert unto thee. Let's pray. Father, we thank you tonight and we pray that your anointing would shake this house. We, we, we pray that the anointing of the Holy Ghost would come and shake this house. We pray that the word that would go forth would be a word that you selected for your people's hearing and my obedience in delivering this word should bring us a corporate testimony that it was good for us to be here. The way that you're going to move, the way that you're going to bless, the lives you're going to touch, the debt you're going to cancel. The wealth you're going to transfer. We give you praise in advance. In Jesus' name. Amen. I want to take my thought tonight from verse number eight of this phenomenal text. It says, make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones which you have broken may rejoice. And I want you to look at your neighbor. Let me give you the word for tonight. I'm not real, real good with sermon topics. So every now and then I might take one. I think I'm pretty good at the word, but the, the topics are kind of 
shaky, you understand. I meet up with some preachers who come up with some wonderful topics. Uh, and, and then sometimes the, the word is not so good. <laughs> so tonight we pray that it comes together. Uh, look at your neighbor and just shake your neighbor's hand a little bit and say, neighbor. Come on, you got to say it with authority. Say, neighbor. Broken bones won't stop me from dancing. Say that the two or three people. Broken bones won't stop me from dancing. Now let's give the Lord a praise in this house. History is kind to this young man who is uh, the king of Israel and King Judah. History is quite, quite kind to him. Uh, when you look at the history of David, uh, a lot of it doesn't match up with what his crisis was, what he went through in order to get to what he has. There's so many people that will look up to the platform and see a preacher, see your apostle, see your pastor standing up here, bold, dressing well, looking good, driving fine, living in a wonderful house, but have no idea of the struggle or what it costs to get here. Uh, if you only knew that the things that you see that you call blessings is compensation for the pain and the hurt that you had to go through. I know you like eggs and some of you like, uh, you know, egg sauce and what have you. But in order to get to the egg, you got to crack the shell. Brokenness comes into play. Uh, when you talk about David, David is a young boy who um, is unassumed. No one ever expected him uh, to get to where he is, or where he had gotten to. Uh, we serve a God that anoints you many times in secret and it's only those who are connected with God that can see past all that you're going through and see that there is an anointing that is resting on your life. One of the things that makes the Bible come alive and the Bible uh, makes the Bible powerful is that if you can sort of kind of put yourself in the context of the word, if you can see yourself in certain areas of the word of God. And I'm not saying that I'm anything close to, to David, but I understand his struggles. And when I read the word, I'm not just um, hearing uh, and, and, and beginning to preach a sermon to you, but I'm conveying a lifestyle. My mom and my dad had nine children together. And I told you earlier, my dad went out of the wedding bar and had 15 other children by six different women in the projects. Coming up as a little boy, I dealt with a chronic rejection and into my adult years I still dealt with chronic uh, chronic rejection rejection re re rejection to the point that I didn't like to hear the word no if you say no to me uh, the old little boy who had been rejected and had been uh, ostracized and thrown and left to raise his own son self would rise up on the inside of me and so one of the ways that I fought and, and, and dealt with this thing that is called rejection is to make sure I never had to ask you for anything. So I worked very, 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 very hard, hard to have my own house and my own car and all the things that I need. So I wouldn't have to ask you for anything. And then you say no to me. No caused something to rise up on the inside of me that made me feel like I was a little boy again. 
I need to explain this. There's a scripture in the Bible that says, um, he says, when I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child. But when I became a man, I did what? I put away childish things. Well, I know that scripture is there in the Bible and I know it's written. But for me, when I read that text, it read like this and it played out like this in my life. When I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. When I became a man, I speak as a child and I understood as a child. So in my man's body, I was still speaking like a little boy. And in my man's body, I was still acting like a little boy. And and you don't have to look far to see that this plays out in the lives of so many individuals who are supposed to be 40, but they're still acting like they're 12. It's a difference between aging and growing. Okay. And so there are things that happened and transpired inside my life that would make me wonder, why would God put me through these situations? So I try to find myself in the text to see how this boy got to this particular place. Psalms 51 does not start with uh, David repenting. He gets to a place where he's called into repentance because sometimes we can get above ourselves. It starts off with a little scripture that goes like this. It says promotion doesn't come from the east nor the west nor the south, but it comes from God who judgeth righteously by putting down one and raising up another. Oh, what a phenomenal text because the Bible is saying that when you are elevated to a position, you're elevated on the back of someone that God had to take down in order to set you up. Uh, look at your neighbor and say, I hope he's not taking you down. Look at your neighbor and say, one thing for sure, I know I'm going up. And as you are going up, you must recognize that you're going up on a decision that God made to move someone out in order for him to move you in. In Chicago, in Chicago, there was a friend of mine. I won't mention the name of the church. There was a friend of mine who was called to pastor this church. And uh, the pastor that they had in the church had fallen to some uh, immoral behavior and they moved him. They brought another pastor in and uh, he went in and he preached for uh, about four or five years and fell to the same thing that that pastor fell to. Uh, the next year, they uh, 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 hired another pastor and brought another pastor in. And sure enough, within two years, he fell to the same thing. A friend of mine's got to call me on the phone. He says, hey, man, I'm about to be called to this particular church. It's a Baptist church. I'm called to this church. And they want me to come in and be the pastor of the church. I says, son, listen to me very, very carefully. Uh, there is a spirit that is in that pulpit in that building. And if you do not confront the spirit that is in the pulpit, that is in that building, you're going to fall to the same things those other preachers fell to. He said, Doc, I don't know what you're talking about. The devil is a liar. I'm calling you, Doc, so that you can bless me and you come up with all this nonsense. Oh, yeah. See, that's the problem. The problem is, is all you pastors out there are jealous. I said, you can talk all you want to. I want you to understand that demons are territorial. Can I preach? That demons are territorial and they will lodge themselves in a certain place, in a certain area, in places, in buildings that are churches. And as long as you don't touch their area, they're okay with you. But if you touch their area, 
glory be to God, they will come up on you and show out in your life. Uh, so I'm going to pray for you anyway. I'm going to pray for you anyway. But there is a demon in the pulpit of that particular church that you go into. He said, well, should I take it or not? I said, this is not me instructing you whether to take it or whether not to take it. What I want you to do is to be aware of what you're dealing with. He said, if it was you, what, 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 what would you do? I said, you can't do what I would do. You got to do what you would do. He said, if you were me, what would you do? I said, if I was you, I would do what you do. But as me, I would do something. And I don't want to tell you what to do. He said, you sound like you're scared. I said, I ain't scared of no demons. I want you to understand that I have a name in glory. I want to preach this here. I have a name in glory. And just look at your neighbor and say, I got a name in glory. And those of you that have a name in glory, you understand that you ain't afraid of no demons. Because anywhere you step, when you walk into a room, all the demons in the room says, there goes Bloomer. There's goes Bloomer. There's goes Bloomer. The demons begin to whisper your name because they know that you're in the house and the reason why you don't see the manifestations of them because the demons know that you walk in the kind of power that if you act up I'm casting you out well he took the church and I did not hear from him for a year and six months in the seventh month I got a call from his daughter she said please Contact my dad. He needs friends around him now. I called him. He answered the phone. He said, Doc, I owe you an apology. I'm losing the church. I got caught up with pride. I said, no, it wasn't pride. You got caught up with stupidity. I told you that there is a demon in that pulpit. And whoever comes behind that particular unsanctified, unpurified place will fall prey to that spirit unless there is an authority that you walk in. Another friend of mine's took over the church. I said, are y'all crazy? One night, I woke up about 2, 3 o'clock in the morning. 2, 3 o'clock is always my time. And I woke up about 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning, and I called him and I said, I know that you are not in authority in the church, but I had a dream tonight, and there was some movement under the pulpit. And I believe that if you can break up the platform and get what's in the platform out from under the platform, you can have victory in this house. Yeah. He said, Doc, we, 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 we're doing a remodeling in the church. I said, wow, that's the reason why God spoke to me. Start the remodeling. He said, no, we're going to tear some things down and we're going to do something and make the place look a little bit better. I said, Doc, listen to me. Listen to me carefully. Whatever the problem is, it's up under the platform where the pulpit rests on. They went and they tore up the pulpit to rearrange it to put a choir stand and everything in and when they broke it up they found that up under the platform of the pulpit were the caucuses of cats and dogs where when they was putting that pulpit in the voodoo workers and the witch doctors had put a curse on that pulpit 
right there in the morning. I feel like preaching in here tonight. Has put a curse on that thing. We now live in a time and a day where most believers are oblivious to the supernatural. In the world to which we now live in, there is so much grace that we forgot that God has given us authority to tread upon scorpions. So we are forgiving the scorpions that trespass when we were supposed to be snatching its head off of it. I wish I had a church in here tonight. Talk a little bit tonight about, 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 about this boy uh, whose name is, is, is David. Uh, you know, uh, Saul is the uh, king of, of, of Israel and the Lord gets tired of him. And when God gets tired of you, he doesn't, uh, you know, pull you down like your boss on the job, embarrass you and scorch you out of the building. What God simply does is just <laughs> snatches his anointing off of you and leave you standing there without the anointing. Mm -hmm. And the anointing in those days when God snatches it off of a man would get into the ram's horn on the mantle of Samuel, whose job was to anoint kings and priests and judge Israel. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Prophetically give a voice. So the anointing of the Lord departs from Saul and it gets on the mantle, in the mantle, in Samuel's house, in the ram's horn. Uh, one uh, Jewish, uh, Josephus, the Jewish historian, tells us a story about in the days when the anointing was transferred, it was held inside a ram's horn. And uh, when the anointing was ready to get on a person, the ram's horn would start rattling. In other words, when you would go to anoint a person, if it wasn't the person that was supposed to be anointed, no oil would flow out of the vessel. The anointing knew who it was supposed to rest on. Ah, can I preach here for a few moments? And so the Lord spoke to Samuel. He said, get down to Jesse's house because that's where I'm going to anoint my next king. Uh, and, and he said, listen, I can't go down to Jesse's house. If, if, if Saul hears of this, he'll have my head. Well, the Lord says, well, you know, you get some grapes and get some wine and get some cheese and get some bread and go down to Jesse's house. And if anybody asks you what you're doing going down there, tell them you're going down there to fellowship. And while you're down there, anoint my next king. Uh, the principle of the text here tells us that when God gives you an assignment, don't always open up your mouth and tell everybody what you're doing. Just shut up and get the job done. Just reach back on somebody and say, get the job done. Get the job done. Just get the job done. And so he gets his wine and his grapes and his, and, 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 and his cheese and his bread. And he makes his way down to Jesse's house. He knows that the anointing of the Lord, he snatches his, his, his ram's horn off of, of, of his mantle and he's on his way to Jesse's house. He gets to Jesse's house and they fellowship and he said, Jesse, the next king of Israel is up under your roof and it's in your house. Jesse goes and calls his seven sons in. You know the story. And they come in, these seven sons, they come in six foot this and six foot that with these six packs. They look in wonderful, are just, just robust and, and, and he lines them up and he raises the horn and no all comes out. On son number one and number two, no all flows. And number three, number five, number seven. Now Samuel is scratching his head. I know, God, you told me to come down here. I know you told me to come and anoint these boys. And I'm here to anoint them, but the oil refuses to flow. And you see, I want to tell you something. If it was today and the ram's horn was raised upon the head of the individual and the oil did not come out, someone would get a stick and go up in there and pull it out and smear it on somebody's head. 
we, we y'all in heaven because we anoint favorites today. Now, if you're not my favorite, chances are you might not get anointed. You got to be in my posse amongst my group, the type of people that I like. Can, can, can I preach to you tonight? And so uh, uh, he, he anoints, uh, uh, lifts up the, the ram's horn and no all comes out. And so now Samuel is trying, did I hear from God? Have God ever told you to do something and you did exactly what he said and still nothing moved? And then you say, wait a minute here, Lord, I know you told me to do this. What in the world is going on? God is testing your faith. He turns to Jesse and he says, Jesse, uh, 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 these are all your sons. And Jesse said, yeah, but there's still one left of, uh, the, of my household, uh, but you don't want him. You, 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 it couldn't be him. He says, well, sir, uh, go and get him. He says, no, no, let me show you. You see that little boy out there up under, up under the tree uh, with, with, with the shepherd rod in his hand? He's tending to the sheep. Uh, you don't want him. Uh, if you're going to be a king, you got to be six foot something. And, and his, his hair is matted. There's bugs flying around his, his face. He, he smells. He rinks of sheep. There's dirt up under his nails. Uh, Samuel said, go get him. And as he starts walking into the house, the ram's horn starts rattling. The ram's horn knows, glory be to God, anointing knows anointing. Spirit knows spirit. I don't always know you. We ain't got to talk. But the minute we connected, the ram's horn began to shake. Is there a shaking going on in your life anywhere? The ram's horn began to shake. And David comes over to him and suddenly uh, Samuel sees that this is the next king. But the thing that is going to happen to David is extraordinary because David is going to be anointed as king uh, but in secret. This is not going to be no pomp and circumstance. The palace does not send knights uh, and shine and armor. They did not send uh, ladies in waiting. There is no earls or dukes or, or, or gentlemen. Uh, uh, the Pope does not send uh, mount seniors or cardinals or archdeacons. He doesn't get slippers. He doesn't get a robe. He doesn't get a ring. He doesn't get a crown. All he gets is oil poured on his head. Y'all ain't hearing what I'm saying. And then he's got to go back out up under the tree and wait until his time comes. Just because you've been anointed don't mean that it's your time. Uh, it's going to be hard for a few minutes here. And so uh, no one is there. And, and let me ask you this question. What do you do when you are first anointed in secret? And secondly, the person who is anointing you, glory be to God, is somewhat jealous of you. What happens when the person who is assigned or commissioned to anoint you doesn't want you to be in the position that you're being in? And God now uses that person to anoint you. You remember, Samuel did not want kings to be there. He went before the Lord and he says, they have rejected me. And he said, oh, they didn't reject you. They rejected me. They want a king. I'm going to give them a king and I'm going to show them what it's like to be up under king. David is anointed as the king of Israel and the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul and came upon David. Now, David is the king of Israel. He has the anointing of God on him. And Saul is still at the palace. He's got the throne, but no anointing. David's got the anointing, but no throne. And God now scratches his head because he's got to figure out how do I bring the anointing to the throne and the throne to the anointing. And so God goes back to his office and sits down and he scratches his head. And goes, oh, I know how I'm going to do it. He calls Lucifer up and he says, hey, send an evil spirit. Uh, glory be to God. Down 
down to the palace and an evil spirit from the Lord went to trouble Saul and an evil spirit from the Lord went to trouble Saul. Come on, repeat after me. And an evil spirit from the Lord came to trouble Saul. This spirit did not come from the gall of hell. This came, glory be God, by permission of God to go and to trouble Saul. And Saul was troubled, deeply grieved and deeply troubled. And Saul says, is there anyone in town that can help me with this bad spirit that I have? And one of one of one of the servants in the palace says, I know a guy who plays skillfully upon the harp. He said, go and get him. And they went and they got David. So now the spirit of the Lord meets up. Glory be to God. The anointing meets up with the throne. And now it is Saul's job to teach David how to sit on the throne. But God has not revealed this to Saul. The trouble that you're going through in your life, could it be that the Lord is sending you a tormentor? Y'all in here what I'm saying? To help you in this season in your life. I'm going to say it one more time and hope you get it. Could it be that God is sending you a tormentor? Uh, not just a mentor, but a tormentor. Somebody that gets on your nerves. Somebody that bothers you. Somebody that agitates you. Why? Glory be to God because he wants to teach you all that you're not to do. And David begins to play skillfully on the harp. And as David is playing on the harp, the evil spirit from the Lord departs from Saul. And David goes back home. And sure enough, the evil spirit comes back. And they call David again. And David plays. And the evil spirit leaves. And sure enough, they call David back. And so Saul said, you keep on coming and going. They give him a little chamber inside the palace. Yeah. Let him live inside here. Let his gift make room for him. I need somebody that when I start going through hell, I need to know who I can go to, who I can get to lift this heavy spirit off of me. So now David is standing before the throne of, of, of Saul. And when the evil spirit would come, David would play. He would play. He would play. He would play. And as David would play, he would play. He would play. Saul would feel so wonderful. And as Saul kept on looking at David, he recognized the anointing that used to be on me. Is on him. Now, I don't like that. So while David is playing, Saul goes for his spear. David doesn't get mad. David recognizes that Saul is teaching him how to duck. You keep on asking God to move people from you when God wants to teach you how to duck. Woo! If this ain't for nobody, I know a little bit of this tonight is for me. Preach to yourself, George Bloomer, duck. David is in the palace. One afternoon, this young girl walks by. David, the music stays the same until something walks by you that you like. Don't 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 don
He sees her walk by. Dong, 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 dong. A very appearance knocks him off key. A time in your life will come where things will shake you. Dun, 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 for a moment. Dun. He falls in love in the palace. Picks up his first wife. Because love got music to it. There's a whole bunch of people in here. Ain't got nobody. Ain't in love with nobody. So you know what I'm talking about. But the first, the few of you in here that know a little bit about love. It's a song to it. And he looks and the little friend walks by and says, hey man, my sister sure do like you. I like her too. And the fellowship begins. One night, late, Jonathan runs to Saul and said, my dad is upset with you. He's angry and if you stay, he's going to kill you. What I'm doing? Nothing. You're just doing what you're doing and doing what you're doing is creating a problem. So they tie sheets together and they hoist him out of a window and now he's off to his journey in the wilderness. It would be 15 years before he gets in position. See, just because you're anointed don't mean you're ready. Mm. He, he, he had oil poured on his head but he had no beard. And when you got all on your head and you don't have a beard, that means that you don't have something that can carry, hold the weight of the anointing. So you wind up slinging it to everyone and it falls on people that is not deserving of it. But the beard is designed to hold through the cricks and the crevices of the hair is designed to hold the weight of the oil that is poured on your head and it trickles down into the beard. You went around the priest. It was always oil in their beard and from their beard to their garments down to the skirts they spend time with God. David is now in the wilderness and in the wilderness he is going to learn spiritual warfare and how to position himself as a king. He's in the wilderness and his boy at the palace tells him he says listen Lord you stay in connection with me uh, I, I, I'll keep you alive and, 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 and he says fine and, 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 and so you tell me where you are and, and, and I'll keep you I'll keep you secure. And, and, and not only that, make sure you keep on sending those those songs, because as long as there's songs, there's worship and praise in all of Israel. And so David is now sending songs back and forth songs and his brother is telling him. Sleep in a high place. Sleep in a low place. They're coming after you. They picked up your scent. They know where you are. So it keeps them ahead of the game. And one day he says, David, listen, this is what I want you to do. I want you to sleep in a high place because they're coming after you. But David is doing something and he, he falls asleep to the sound. He wakes up in the morning to the sound of dogs barking and the sound of horses clapping together and voices they picked up his scent 
And so David takes off running and he starts running in the horses and the dogs are barking. And the people say, he's over there, he's over there. And he's running, he's running. And he runs into a cave. And when he gets into the cave, David looks around and says, I'm in trouble. I'm dead here. This is the end of my life. But he hears this hissing sound going on behind him and he turns around and gazillions of spiders are webbing up the mouth of the cave. In seconds, the cave is webbed up. And the horses and the dogs and the men are now standing in front of the mouth of a webbed up cave. And David is in the cave. And the dogs are barking. He's in there. He's in there. But someone looks at the situation and says it's impossible for him to be in there. Because it would take years for the spiders to web up the cave. And they go off. And when they move off, David falls back, takes his feather, dips it in ink, and begins to write, He that dwelleth in the secret places of the Most High shall abide under the shadows of the Almighty. He begins to understand, glory be to God, that when God is working with you, God will perform some miracles that will shock your enemy. He's beginning to see the mighty hand of God. It's in the wilderness, his wilderness experience, that he's going to connect with God in an unbelievable way. He leaves and he finds himself going down a steep hill and he looks and there is a fire going. He's been in the wilderness for a number of years. He's fought his battles and he's grown a wonderful beard. There's no YouTube or Instagram or Twitter. He goes into the camp and he sits down amongst peers, amongst people, and they're sapping and eating and they offer him good hospitality. And while he's eating, he hears one of them say, when I catch David, I'm going to use my money to give me some brand new rims for my chariot. I'm going to give me one of them sundial Rolex watches for my arm. He realizes that they're talking about him. So he wipes his mouth and thanks them. For their hospitality and walks off and begins to write I prepare the table before me in the presence of my enemies are you hearing what I'm saying David goes through so many scenarios that brings him to the place that he is and for those of you pastors that are in this room and pastors who are watching at the locations and streaming with us tonight some of you may feel that the Lord has forgotten you or the Lord has left you back. No, he's staging scenarios and situations to bring you to a perfect place in him. I, I decree and declare that 2018 will be the most extraordinary year you've ever seen in your entire life. You're going to see the hand of God like you've never seen it before. I'm talking about there's going to be a walk on the water anointed. There, oh, yes. There, there, yeah, 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 yeah. There's going to be the kind of anointing that's resting on your life that you're going to walk into areas that you never, ever dreamed of even being in. And there you will find me. David gets word that. Jonathan and Saul, they're, they're dead. And now he comes to the throne. After 15 years out there 
he now secures the throne. Took him a while to get where he's at. Apostle, man of God, there will always be people that will look at you and say, man, y'all looking wonderful and you're doing good, but they don't know your story. They don't know what you had to go through and what you had to give up in order to secure what God has given you. David is now on the throne. And when David gets to the throne, the first thing he does, is says, I'm going to establish a different way of living. Is there anyone left of the household of Saul that I may show kindness to him is what he says to one of Saul's hand servants. And he says, yeah, there's still left one. His name is Mephibosheth and he's down in Lodabar. Lodabar means no word. The amazing thing to me is that the Bible says that Jonathan and, and, and David, that they both, as they came together, they had the type of spirit that uh, they shared everything. But even in their close relationship, he never told David that he had a son who was born with a condition and was mishandled and was crippled, which disqualified him for sitting on the throne. Y'all ain't hear what I'm saying. And the rule, the rule of secession was that the minute the new king came in, he had to slaughter to the fourth generation. So Saul had died and his son had died with him. Now you have Mephibosheth. And although Mephibosheth couldn't walk well and he had a condition of the head, the Bible says he had a child. So just because you can't walk well and the condition of your head ain't right, that don't stop you from making babies. And he had a child. Four generations. David said, go and get him. I want to show kindness to him. Mephibosheth didn't know what to think because he knew the rule. He says, am I a dead dog that you would come and consider me? He thought that David was going to do him in. But David was establishing a brand new era. David was saying, I ain't got to be afraid of you because the anointing is on me. And the anointing will protect me. I ain't got to behave like other people behave. The anointing is on me. The anointing is on me. And when preachers begin to realize that we are no threat to each other once we are anointed for the task. If you are anointed for the task, nothing you do is you, you ain't taking my members. If you are anointed for the task. So he wanted to make sure that his friend's son is treated right. So he set a table and made sure that the skirts to the table were long enough so that when he sat down, no one could see his condition. And he would bring him in before everybody got there and take him out after everyone left so no one saw his condition. In this next season, God wants to align you with people who know how to cover your weaknesses. To make sure that no one sees the area in your life where there is weakness. David takes over the throne. And when he gets to the throne, he starts working the work. The problem that David has, and this is the point that I want to get to, and I'll go to my seat. The problem that David has is that Saul was king over Israel for 40 years and only two of the years that he was king over Israel, the Ark of the Covenant was there. So he ruled Israel for 38 years without the presence of God. So David's first task was to go and bring God's presence back to the house. Now, I know this is Africa, but about 25, 30 years ago, 
Americans were coming in here to evangelize the continent of Africa. 25, 30 years later, God is raising up the Africans to go and. They don't get it. It's not a mistake that the apostle is in America effecting change in nations around the world. Listen to me that, 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 that we, we're, we're in an era and in a season where God is raising up Africans to go and evangelize the world. The anointing has departed from America and the anointing is housed. The resident anointing is in this nation and you better wake up and stop being so uh, uh, enamored or, or so awed or wooed glory be to God, by big names and recognize the anointing that is resting on the shoulders of individuals who ain't got no big name. Look at your neighbor and say, I ain't got a big name, but I am anointed. I'm anointed. I'm anointed. Say it. I'm anointed. I'm anointed. David, David, David now is on the throne. You can, yeah, he's on the throne. And while he's, he's on the throne, he, he, he recognizes that I got to get the anointing back in here. One of the things that I recognize, I don't know, this is my first time here. One of the things that I recognized here very, very strongly is that God somehow or another is controlling the, 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 the messaging of the house. And so I'm on my way with one message and the Lord shifts it and he turns it to another message. And so I said to him, no, no, this is what I'm going to preach. And then I pull up to it and the Lord drops this message into my heart again. He's controlling what happens here, which means that in order for you to miss God in this house, you got to try hard. Got to try hard. Something is going on in this house that if you miss God, it's because you are a computer hacker. You know how to override systems. Because God's anointing is flowing in an unusual way. Mm. Hallelujah. And so, so David is, is in position. He goes and he gets the Ark of the Covenant and uh, he makes his attempt to bring it back. You know the story. And he goes and he rescues the Ark of the Covenant from mm -hmm, mm -hmm, the Philistines. And, and uh, he gets it and he picks it up, finds out that the Philistines doesn't have it. But a young man hasn't been having it in his house for 38 years. His kids moves around the Ark of the Covenant. They're putting coffee cups on top of it. They don't know what to do with it. They just, it's just there. There's a lot of these young boys who are coming up in ministry. They don't know what to do with the anointing. It's just there. Oh, they are anointed. Yeah, and they're good and they're, they're excellent, but they have no lifestyle. They have no discipline. They just gifted, 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 gifted. You understand? You scratch your head, they gifted. They can tell you your name, your address, your telephone number, but they can't live one hour sanctified. Can I preach in here tonight? I said they can tell you your name, your they, they can get they can go into the goals of prophecy, but they know nothing about sanctification, discipline, or clean living at all. At all. They don't know what to do with the anointing. So now the kids is at the house leaning up against the, the Ark of the Covenant and then and, and, and throwing uh their jacket on it because it's common and no one is explaining how. 
Much reverence is to be given to this vessel that is here. David goes and he gets it. And they make this cart to bring the Ark of the Covenant in. And the rule was when the Ark travels, it's not to, it's not to be carried on the cart, but it's to be carried on the shoulders of the priest. Yeah. yeah, the shoulders of the priest. Someone taught a doctrine. They said if you touch the Ark of the Covenant, you would die. That's not true. Because if that was true, then how was the Philistines able to steal it six times? They didn't even know God. And so something else they did something else to deal with this. And they made this cart and they placed the Ark of the Covenant on the cart. And as they were moving through, going through the camp, one of the wheels that the ox was uh, pulling got caught at the threshing floor into one of those potholes. And the ox shifted. And when it shifted, one of the men ran and, ran and shoved it back up on the cart and God slew him. And so now he's wiped out and David is a little bit upset. Why you kill the man? And you know, the man is killed. The man is slain for a reason or two. One, the Ark of the Covenant was supposed to be carried on the shoulders of the priests and not placed on a cart or placed on a board. Any church that's being ran by a board. And its instructions are not coming out of the apostolic voice that the priests are carrying on their shoulders. Y'all ain't hearing what I'm saying. In this house, in this organization, you are the covenant that God made with the organization. The job of all of the elders and all of the pastors who are under you is to carry you on their shoulders. Close enough to their ears so you can whisper in their ears what the next instruction. I'm not preaching good today. What the next instruction is supposed to be. And when they take you and they make a cart and they put you on a board. Now the board, glory be to God, is running the show. And what God wanted to do, he wanted to stop it. But David did not understand. So David said, I'm not bringing this, 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 this murderous thing into my house. And he left it at Obadiah's house. And Obadiah didn't know what he had. But when he put it into Obadiah's house, Obadiah lived on a dirt road. Obadiah didn't have no running water. Obadiah, there was no well. Obadiah, y'all and his children, they had nothing to eat. They weren't going to school, to college or nothing like that. It was all messed up for Obadiah. But here, Obadiah said, oh, let us sit up here. Let us put it over on the side there. And they put it over the side there. And while Obadiah was sleeping, glory be to God, the ark of the covenant would light up. Y'all in here, what I'm saying? And, and smoke would come out of the ark. And God would dance around the ark. And Obadiah would wake up in the middle of the night and sing praises to the ark. Y'all in here, what I'm saying? Sing, sing praises to those two cherubims that dwelleth on top of the ark where his wings was touching one another. And they would sing praises. And all of a sudden, glory be to God, things began to happen. Wells began to spring up where Obadiah was. Yeah, a new shopping mall went up over there. His wife is there getting the nails done and she got red bottom shoes. Y'all in here what I'm saying? Oh, yeah, baby. Uh-huh. Yes, sir. Obadiah's wife didn't have about that much hair. She ain't had no hair. But after that Ark of the Covenant got in there, she got extensions. Y'all in here, extensions. That Obadiah that used to live in the mud hut, he's living in a mansion. He's got chariots. He's got servants. And it's only been a few years. And David said, what's it? Yeah, I don't know what it is. But wherever the presence of the Lord is, prosperity shows up. 
You keep on praying for the entire nation of, 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 of Africa, the entire nation of, 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 of Nigeria, and you want God to move in the whole Nigeria. That's not God's plan to move in the whole Nigeria. What God's plan is to do is to show you as a people in the midst of famine, there's food in your house. In the midst of drought, there's water for you to drink. Yeah, he wants people to come by and scratch their head to try to figure out how in the world you're making it when the bank won't loan you no money and the doctors glory be to God don't know what your sickness is but yet you can open up your mouth and say God here I am and the Lord shows up high five somebody said that's the kind of God that I serve you might you might you might be here in Nigeria but you live in the garden of Eden you are connected to a God that knows how to meet your need I dare you to shake your neighbor and say he knows how to meet my need David said go and get my ark and bring my ark back. Get my ark and bring that ark back. In fact, no, you ain't got to bring the ark back. I'm going to get it myself. He calls to the temple and he said, give me 25,000 lamb. Give me 25,000 you lamb. Give me 65,000 goats. We're going to bring the ark back. And every step that we make, every few paces that we take, we're going to stop and offer up sacrifices to God. Y'all ain't hear what I'm saying. They went and they picked up the ark and they brought the ark back. God is inside the ark smiling. And the reason why God is smiling is because God is saying they have no idea what's about to happen to them. That they're bringing my presence back. And I want to tell some of you that's been going through pure hell. If you learn how to worship God in the midst of your storms and stop complaining and just start worshiping God, I promise you, he will bless you in the midst of your storms. I feel like preaching this here right now. And so glory be to God, David is offering this up. And he's on his way back into the camp. And the weight of the blood and the sacrifice is so on him because he slew as he was coming in and he sacrificed as he was going. That the weight of his clothes is now being weighed down with the blood of goats and bullocks and, and lambs. That he began to come out of his clothes. And he had all of his musicians to start playing. And they started playing a song and he danced his way in and when he was coming in he danced out of his clothes but his wife opened up the curtain and she saw it and despised him he wasn't trying to be funny he wasn't exposing himself he was giving praise to God some people are not going to be able to handle your dance because they do not know your struggle you don't know what I've gone through glory be to God so when you see me bow down you say look at she said no 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 you don't know the hell that I've gone through you don't know with my bowing sometimes it's my ducking y'all ain't hear what I'm saying you don't know I don't know how to stand in the midst of what I'm going through and David comes into Israel now he's got the glory of God and he's got the presence of the Lord and he's sitting on the throne and his worst day now comes David supposed to be at war and he comes out on his on his porch and he looks over and there he sees Bathsheba and you know the story he falls with Bathsheba and all the problems happen and David finds himself standing before God at our terrace he goes to God and he says Lord I messed up I gotta tell you a story I gotta tell you a story because maybe there's no one in here Who's messed up? But I've messed up. David goes before God and he says, Lord, 
Have mercy on me, O God, according to your loving kindness. I know you are kind and you love your people. This is what he says is powerful. According to the multitude of your tender mercies. He says, God, I'm not asking you to do something that you didn't do before. The proof is that you did it so many times. Blot out my transgressions and wash me thoroughly from my iniquities. One writer says that iniquities is willful deviation from what we know to be the truth of God's word. But you can't get free until you acknowledge your transgressions. Own them. Because my sins are ever before me. Then in between his repenting man of God, he has a little problem. And the problem he has is his flesh stands up. So he says this to God against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. That you might be justified when you speak. He's talking to God and clear when you judge. What did we miss this in the text? He starts off by, by repentance saying, Lord, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. And then he stops and says, wait a minute, before you forgive me, I'm not sure if I offended you. But since you want me to you want me to repent, I'll do it. He says against you and only you have I sinned and done this evil in your sight that you might be justified. He's talking to God. He said to God that you might be justified when you speak and clear when you judge. Should I read that one more time? Because I don't think you caught it. He said against you and only you, which was a lie. He had sinned against Uriah. He had taken Uriah's wife from him. But David knew something about Uriah. That does those of us in the church might not know. History knows it, but it's not preached. When David said against you and only you have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. He was referring to. The law of the land in that time and day. You see, when generals went to war, they would put into their wife's hand a bill of divorcement. Because if you fell at a person's sword, whatever was theirs became your spoils. So to make sure that the household was secure, when the generals would go to war, they would give their wives bills of divorcement. So David knows that technically Uriah and Bathsheba are not married. He knows that they're connected in the spirit, but legally because Uriah is at war. Great day in the morning. Can I preach this to you? He's at war. And so when Uriah comes back home, Uriah doesn't go into Bathsheba because he had converted to Hebrew. So he was no longer serving his gods. So he was following the principles and the God of Israel. And that's why he didn't go in that night. Because he was waiting for the generals to come to bring the papers so that he can be reconciled back to his wife properly. That's why David gave him something to drink. Because when you get drunk, your judgment is impaired. But the Holy Spirit had a hand in this and he fell asleep at the steps. And when David said he did not go in and fellowship with his wife and she pregnant, put him on the front line and kill him. So now there's a problem. Can I preach to somebody? There's a there's a problem. So he goes to the Lord and he says to the Lord against you and only you have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. That you might be justified when you speak, God. You know you ain't got no business calling in here. He wasn't married to her at the time that we fell up, that we, we did what we did. 
And then verse number five, maybe you didn't see it. Maybe I'm the only one looking at it. He says, behold, I was shaped in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. He said, I'm in the same predicament because my dad and my mom was not married when I was born. In sin did my mother conceive me. Now, the way the scriptures quoted to you, you're born in sin and shaped in iniquity. So you think that everybody's born. That's not what the text is saying. That's not how it's written. Watch this here for a few seconds. We'll rejoice together. The Bible said that Jesse had eight sons and David was the seventh of his eight sons. The word young in the text does not mean little. Does not mean last. The word red in the text does not talk about the color of his hair. It talks about his temper. And when God is about to anoint you to sit upon the throne, he has to go through uh, uh, character corrections. Where he allows certain things to happen that will perfect your character. So that you can assist God with your salvation. When they called for the sons, he called the seven sons in because those were the seven sons that was born under the covenant of marriage. But there was still one that was God's plan. That no one looked at. And this room is filled with individuals who no one is looking at. And you're God's choice. They brought him in. He says to the Lord, he says, you know, God, I was born in sin and shaped in iniquity. He said, you desire truth in the inward parts. Well, here it is. How are you judging me for this? And you know, God, that technically this is not the situation. I thank God so much today that those that don't get the opportunity to go to Bible school or go to seminary, stuff like that. You got a smartphone. You can Google it. We live in a time of the day where knowledge is everywhere and folks who don't have it don't want it. The problem many times is that when we read the Bible, we read the Bible as if the Bible was written in Nigeria. The Bible was not written in Nigeria. The Bible was written in Palestine. And so if you don't acquaint yourself with the customs and the rituals and the traditions and the ceremonies, then you read the text. You try to make the Bible say what you wanted to say, but the Bible is saying what God said. And so David stands before the Lord. I told you tonight. That the message is broken bones won't stop me from dancing. My grandmother is a Jamaican woman. She went over to be with the Lord. Yeah, man. <laughs> she grew up in what they called a Zion church. The Zion church is sort of kind of like voodoo obia. Ubia, where they had the services that would start at 12 o'clock in the nighttime. They take the table and turn the table upside down and put banana and dashim and yam and ting. They put all the stuff together and coconut and they beat the drums. And sometimes they beat the drums so violently that the presence would come in and burst the coconuts. They walked up under that kind of of a demonic spirit. And she got saved. But never got delivered. So she believed in Jesus. But when problems come. She would always reach back to her Zion roots. 
in order to get her answers. When women would have problems inside the church uh, with their husbands, she would get these little small men and write the husband's names on the bellies of these little soldiers and bury them in flower pots. She would make potions and tell women to drink potions and to do different types of things. My grandfather was a pastor, a bishop, and his church never grew beyond 20 people. He's the nicest man there is in the world, but the spirit that was on the inside of her hindered the church from even growing. And for whatever reason, that woman did not like me at all. And I didn't like her either. When I was a little kid coming up, I used to stutter. It takes me a long time to speak. I still wrestle and fight with the demon of stutter. But I've learned how to live with all of my vices. You're not hearing it. The spirit of stutter has attacked me in this pulpit at least 12, 13 times. But none of you recognized it because I've learned I'm not going to fight stutter. When stutter comes up in me, I stop and I let it go by. And then I pick it up again and start talking. And so sometimes I'm talking in the middle of I'm talking. I just stop and people say, preach, keep preaching. I can't. But I've worked it into my show. Turn to your neighbor and say, some things you just got to work into your show because some stuff ain't going nowhere. It's the stutter. So it's not stuttered. She calls stupid. Come here, stupid Gary. Stupid Gary. Not George Gary. Stupid Gary. Stupid, stupid Gary. Stupid Gary. And then she would mimic me. You, you want some water? Well, she'd say to my sister, you want some water? You're so pretty. Stupid, Gary. So I would walk around places. And anytime somebody says stupid, I look around. She walked with such a demonic spirit on her. My mother came on one day. She said, was, was Grandma Blue here last night? My sister said, yeah, how do you know? She said, because George Gary wet the bed. And every time she's around, he loses water. I'm 15 years old. I'm sleeping. She comes into the house and my spirit can feel the presence of her spirit. And I would lose my water. I, I couldn't tie my shoe until I was 9, 10 years old. Hard to tie my shoe. So she would take a drumstick and say, hold your hand out. And I hold my hand. You're going to tie your shoe and hit me on the tips of my finger. Stupid Gary, tie the shoe. And I'm crying, I can't tie the shoe, I can't tie the shoe. And now my fingers are swollen because she beat me. I can't tie the shoe. Stupid Gary. Stupid. One afternoon she said, you're going to tie your shoe today or I'm going to break your neck. She went across the street. My sister came to me and said, come here, come here, George. Let me show you how to tie your shoe. You take the two loops, you make bunny ears. You flip them over, you tie it out, and you pull it together. And see, this is how you tie your shoe. I said, good, leave it, leave it, leave it, leave it. She says, no, she's going to challenge you. You got to learn how to tie your shoe, George. You learn how to tie your shoe. And she started crying. While she was crying, I took the two loops, and I made the bunny ears. And she said, stop crying, sister. And I, and I tied my knot. Listen to me. I didn't tie my shoe because I was brilliant. I tied my shoe because I didn't want my sister to cry. I tied my shoe learning how to intercede for somebody. Mm. She come across the street. Stupid Gary. Oh, you tied the shoe. Come here, Cynthia. Yeah, I know you tied the shoe. For and if he can't tie the shoe, I'm going to break your neck. I pulled the, the loop. Flipped that thing over and tied it. And looked at her. She looked at me and she said, good, stupid Gary, you're stupid, 
you're stupid. I wanted to know why she called me stupid all the time. She didn't like my mama. And I looked like my mama. My other brothers and sisters looked like my dad, but I looked like my mama. Thank you, mommy. <laughs> Y'all ain't hearing anything. I'm sitting on the steps of the house. She called her sister them over from the church. They're coming together. They're having a prayer meeting. No prayer going on. They're discussing certain things. Then they got candles, putting candles around the table, and they start lighting up the candles. They're entering into a seance, and I'm at the top of the steps. When they went into it, I'm at the top of the steps looking down in my grandmother's house. When she started calling on those spirits, she stopped and she says, George, Gary, go into the room. Because in that world, when you enter into it, everything around you, you pick up on. And I went into the room. This lady did not like me. I had no idea. I did not understand. One afternoon, I came back from school. My mother was in the house. She was leaning up against the wall. And she said, George, Gary, come here. I had to tell you something. You know mommy loves you, right? And I said, yes, mom. You love your mother? She said, I got to tell you something. And I don't want you to cry. She said, Grandma Bloomer died today. I said. Hallelujah. My mother said, that's not nice. I said, thank you, Jesus. I now know what her problem was with me. Her problem was that God had made a decision to anoint me without my permission. He didn't tell me that I was going to be anointed to see demons and to see into the spirit world. Uh, can I take five more minutes and go to my seat? He, 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 he didn't tell me that. He just placed his anointing on me. And there are those of you who are anointed in this room. He didn't tell you what you anointed for. You just anointed. But in a few days, it's going to be revealed to you. Oh, yeah. And, 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 and so she hated the anointing that was on me. She taught me how to write those books. She didn't know it. She was placed in my life for that particular reason. Great door day in the morning. She had mentored me into my position with God through torment. Torment. But she's not the only one. There are others in the Bible that have this problem. Elijah and Elisha. Elijah, the older man. Elisha, the younger man. And, and, and the younger man was tormented by Elijah. He didn't talk to him. He didn't fellowship with him. He didn't want him around him. But yet, when he was called away, the anointing that was on his life was unbelievable. I realize that I'm in the wilderness of my experience before I get to the throne. And God now wants to teach me how to get there. And so I had a $300 a day crack cocaine habit and a heroin addiction. And I got saved and that went away, got delivered from it. But two years into my preaching, my cocaine addiction came back. So now I'm preaching and shooting up in this toe 20 minutes before it's time to preach. There was times that I stood up in the pulpit. Some of y'all want to go home now and say, well, I didn't wait a minute here. I'm sorry, you got to hear the truth. And shoot up right in that toe. Take the shoe off and stick the needle in the toe and get high. 20 minutes before it's time to preach. Satan had tricked me so that if I wasn't high, I couldn't preach. He had pulled me into his demonic realm. Great day in the morning. Mm -hmm. 
and now I'm preaching and I'm strung out. I had to preach at a convention and, 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 and I'm preaching there and I couldn't come out of the pastor's study because I couldn't get my shoelace back into my shoe. Because I had shot up in the office and got high inside the office. And they came and they said, you, after the song is over, you're on next. And I remember getting up and I'm just high. And I stepped out the door. And when I stepped out the door, the Holy Spirit snatched the drug high off of me. And I stood up as sober as I could be. And I walked in that pulpit and I preached that night. And 90 people gave their life to the Lord. And they were throwing their vices on the altar. Smoke, cigarettes, and different things they were throwing on the altar. And when I finished preaching, I was coming back down out of the pulpit. And drug high came on me and I heard God's voice says now listen if you're going to be a dog I'll use you as a dog but you'll never see me in glory must I preach this gospel and souls be saved and I myself be a castaway the gifts and the callings are without repentance just because you're fluttering around don't mean that God is totally pleased with you great day in the morning and he set me free from that and he says the way that you're going to be a blessing is by telling the people the truth the truth Broken bones won't stop me from dancing. I'm called to preach at a church in California. I go to the church and I stand up, take the microphone, and there's a girl up in the balcony that stands up, goes to the front of the banister, does this, and then falls back. I don't know why I see this. I take my text. She gets up and does it again. I start my sermon. She does it again. I said to her, you, the balcony, come down here. She comes down. And while she's walking, a whole demonic manifestation breaks out. I'm saying to myself, I have no idea why I called her. This is crazy. I bound the spirit that was in her. And I said, what was your problem? She said, when you took the text, a voice spoke to me to tell me to throw myself from the balcony to keep you from preaching. That this would be a day of breakthrough and deliverance. I realized that manifestations now has a lot to do with distracting the man of God from going forth doing what God has anointed and called him to do. After I had... My operation, gastro bypass surgery, I was 414 pounds. They told me that you're going to, you're going to die. I had this tumor and they needed to remove it from me, but it was resting up under my liver. And they wanted to get it because the cancer would be traveled into my blood system and I'd be out in six months. But they couldn't perform the operation because the liver was too fat. I couldn't understand why my liver was fat because I'm not an alcoholic. I don't drink alcohol at all. But my daddy was. The sins of my father was now passed down through demonic intervention to, to block me from having this breakthrough. I called my mother on the phone. I said, Ma, I'm going to die. She said, we all going to die. I said, no, I'm going to die quicker. She said, I went, to the, I went to the doctor today and the doctor told me that I'm going to die. And she said, listen, hang the phone up because you are a liar. I said, what? She said, you're a liar. You're on TV and you're preaching to people and you're telling people about deliverance and breakthrough. And here you are crying like a little chump on the phone. Hang the phone up. My mother, my mother was tough. I said, Mom, why are you talking to me? She said, because I'm sick of you. You can't be telling these people to have faith in God and you on the phone. Nyeh, nyeh, crying like a little baby. You're supposed to be George Bloomer. 
rebuke that devil. Do you know anything about demons? I said, Ma, everything you know about demons, I taught you. She said, well, you need to act like it. She said, do you believe in seed sowing? I said, Ma, everything you know about seed sowing, I taught you. She said, you need to act like it. Get a seed, sow a seed, and place a demand on the seed is what my mother told me. I hung the phone up. I was going through my mail that same day, and there was a check in the mail for $8,881. 8881 a royalty check from one of my books that I had forgot that I, that I even had out there. I took the check, and I flipped it over, and I signed the back of the check and sold it into my spiritual father's television ministry. That night, my stomach was on fire. I went to, uh, got up in the morning. I said, Dr. King, y'all got to take me to the hospital because I'm on fire. Went to the hospital. The doctor says, uh, son, what should I do my instructions. Drink 64 ounces of water a day, 32 ounces of cranberry juice. Come back and see me in about six or seven months, and we're going to try to shrink your liver. I said, you need to do an x-ray. He says, going to run your process. I said, do the x-ray. They did the x-ray, and my liver had shrunk Overnight. Overnight. Because when you sow a seed and place a demand on the seed, glory be to God, God has got to do what he said he would do. It shrunk overnight. They went in and they worked on me and they got that cancer out of me. And I didn't do a day of, 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 of radiation treatment, a day of chemotherapy. They got it out for me. And the doctor came and says, look, we got it all out, but you're still going to die. He says, this weight is going to kill you. I was on 10 different medications at that time. Medications to help regulate my heart. Diabetes had taken over my body. You hear what I'm saying? And when I would go upstairs between the 8 o'clock service and the 11 o'clock service, I would have to go to sleep in order to have a nap. I would bleed through the through, through, through the tracks inside the, the tracks where I used to shoot up uh, uh, heroin in would open up while I was preaching and my toes would bleed. That's how much pressure was on me. And he says, I have a friend that wants to talk to you. He sent this man his idea. He said, listen, I'm doing these gastro bypass surgeries and uh, I would like to do it for you for free. If you would allow me to use these dissolvable staples that goes along with the surgery procedures. He said, I did 900 of them, but you are a high profile individual and I want to be able to do it on you and I'll do it for free. The operation is $70,000 and I'll give you one year's care, which is another $100,000 for free. If you let me, I said, cut me any way you want to cut me. <laughs> Ain't I pretty tonight? And I came down. When I was going through my healing process, I started First Lady having dreams about smoking crack. Dreams. I don't smoke crack dreams about it and I would dream and in my dream I was meeting people in the dream talking to them fellowship with them going into crack houses driving my car in my dream getting high in my dreams it had gotten so bad that twice a week I would sleep for 12 hours because in that spirit world Satan was messing with my mind in that spirit world and I met a young lady in my dream whose name is Sylvia. And I would go and drive her in the car and talk with her and fellowship with her and smoke crack with her in the dream. And then I wake up. And I go to sleep. And I have the dream again. And I had conversations with this person in my dream life. The enemy was attacking me in my dream life. One night, Sylvia said to me, this crack is not working. 
let's shoot up. Let's shoot up. So I'm in a crack house with Sylvia, and I'm rolling my sleeve up, and she's got the syringe in this bag, this Hello Kitty bag. It's filthy, but the cat Hello Kitty is on it. She's got all the drug stuff inside of it. She zips it open. She burns the rock, makes the solution, puts it in the syringe, and I'm rolling my sleeves up. And while I'm rolling my sleeves up in my dream, I hear the saints praying in tongues. And I wake up out of my dream. And when I wake up, I'm sitting up in the bed with my physical pajama sleeve rolled up. That was the moment that that demonic spirit of Haran and cocaine was about to enter back into my body. But the saints were on assignment from God to intercede for their pastor to pray me out of it. I went to church that Sunday morning and shared it with the congregation. And there were folks on the front row that were laying prostrated because the night that it was happening, God woke them up out of their bed and they made telephone calls to each other and said, let's pray for Bishop. I'm almost done. I went to the church in California. And I take my text. Give my text to the sermon. It has nothing to do with demons or anything. And look up. And in the balcony on this side. Sylvia is sitting there. The same girl I saw in my dreams. I looked and looked away. And I looked and I looked away. This, this can't be true. It can't be true. The Holy Spirit said, call her name. I said, Sylvia? She said, ah! She started screaming. I got scared. She starts running down to the altar. She runs to the altar. She runs to the How did you know my name? How did you know my name? I don't know you. I never saw you. I never saw you. How did you know my name? I said, Sylvia, go and get the Hello Kitty bag. Ah! She screams, she runs back, goes into a pocketbook and brings the same bag that I had in my dream. Brings it, zips it open and dumps the contents of it out on the altar. She's screaming, she gets delivered. And after she gets delivered, she looks up and she says, how did you know me? I didn't know you. I, I, I didn't know you. But a friend of mine's invited me to church. And when I came to church, I was sitting there. And the reason why I was frightened, because for the past three months, you were in my dream. I was riding in a car with you in my dream. Y'all didn't hear what I'm saying. That the Lord began. That the Lord began to work it out in the realm of the spirit. I come to tell you that this house is about to reach a level of deliverance that is unbelievable. But it's going to come out of your brokenness. It's going to come out of your hurt. It's going to come out of your pain. Stop asking God for an easy way out and just go with the flow. Because the God that I serve, he's going to bring you out of this on top. The woman, the woman, the woman, the woman is delivered and set free. I said to her, I don't want to nick romance and mess with things. I said, what was the car? She said, it was a 550 Mercedes Benz, black on black. Inside the car was some headphones. She described my car to the T. 
There are things that are happening to us in the realm of the spirit and we can't get there because the anointing hasn't flowed totally and openly. I believe the reason why I'm here tonight is to prepare you, glory be to God, to be one of the centers in the city that is going to do mass deliverances. Oh yeah, baby. Where God is going to shift things and things are going to happen. Our level of training is going to another area. You didn't go through what you went through for nothing, for naught. God staged it and set it up so that it happens this way. Now the brokenness that David dealt with did not come from demons and devils. David said to the Lord, he said, you know, uh, help me, dear God, uh, that I may be able to dance with the bones that you have broken. I've been embarrassed. I, I, I've gone through hell. I, I, I've been ostracized and criticized. I, I've had the state of oppression come upon me. But I've learned in my 33 years of ministry that much that was happening to me, Satan had is nothing to do with it at all. It was God on both sides working the deal out. And I come to tell you that God is on your side working deals out. The daughter that you haven't heard from in a long time, she's going to be calling this week. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The problems that you've been facing in your life is about to turn. The economics is going to shift. No longer will you look back and look at other people and hope and desire that it's going to get good for you. You are next. In fact, I just want you to talk to somebody and say to them, I'm next, I'm next. I, 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 I want to prophesy to you and tell you that you're going to be blessed, but tonight I'm going to be selfish. I'm going to tell somebody you're going to be blessed. That's how you got to talk. You got to you got to prophesy to you are going to be blessed. I prophesy to myself. I decree and declare to myself that out of all the hell that I've gone to, glory be to God, you're going to be blessed. I dare you. I dare you. I dare you. I dare you. You know what your needs are. You know what you got to have. Decree it and declare it. Prophesy to yourself and tell yourself in the next few days, God is going to shift things. God is going to turn things. God is going to make impossible things come to pass in your life. Let me close with this. Pull on your neighbor and say, neighbor, dancing time is coming. A time is coming that you are going to dance, but not before you experience, glory be to God, a hardship that you've been going through. And it's not by mistake. It is the hand of God that is setting you up. I cannot explain it as much and I can't continue to go over it. But I sense there is a cloud that is about to hit this place that is unbelievable. Oh, yeah. Not only are you going to glory be to God. Build in Chicago and build in a, but you're about to build right here. And there's going to be people, glory be to God, who is going to scratch their heads starting January 1, trying to figure out how you doing what you are doing with what you have. Uh, look at your neighbor and say, how you doing what you're doing? Uh, how you doing what you're doing? Uh, when God makes a promise to you and he tells you that he's going to do something, how God does it is not your business. Uh, the only thing you need to focus your attention on is that he said it. Have not I spoke it? If I said it, I'll bring it to pass. Uh, shake somebody and say it's coming to pass. Uh, Every dream, every vision, every prophecy that has been prophesied over your life that's been on hold, God is about to release it in your life. Your best days are coming. Your breakthrough is right now. 
begin to prepare yourself for what the Lord is going to do. I see land coming into your hands. I see land coming into your hands. How you going to pay for it? It's not your business. How you going to build it? It ain't your business. How it's going to be financed? It ain't your business. All I need to do is open up my mouth and give God praise for what God says he's going to do. The earth is the Lord's in the fullness. Can I preach for a little while? The earth is the Lord's in the fullness thereof and they that dwell therein. I've been hurt. I've been going through storms and trials and tribulations. The devil's been fighting me on every hand. I had to deal with the spirit of oppression and then had the spirit, the spirit of depression and I had to fight uh, through a lot of things uh, but I kept my praise uh, and somewhere in the Bible it says uh, put on the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness uh, when you get heavy find the praise uh, when you start going through find the praise uh, when the devil is on your back find the praise uh, the devil can't stay where praises is going on uh, learn how to duck in the face of the enemy uh, and dwell in the secret places of the most high uh, he told me to tell you that if you praise me tonight I'm going to send angels to your situations Ah, if you praise me tonight I'm going to turn your situation around how many in here need a turnaround the God that I serve is about to turn it for you you've gone through pure hell but now is the time to give God praise look at your neighbor say oh neighbor forgive me right now but I got to give God praise I said say to your neighbor neighbor forgive me but I got to give God praise because you don't know like I know the hell that I've been through and you don't know like I know how the devil's been fighting me but I decided to give God praise is there anybody in the building that has decided to give God praise Hold it, hold it, watch, watch, man. Stop. There's anybody in the building that has decided to give God praise. If you decided to give God praise, open up your mouth and praise him. And as you praise God, don't forget that belongs to me. Y'all ain't hear what I'm saying. Pull on your neighbor, say, oh, neighbor, I got a feeling that something is about to happen in this area about now. Something is about to shape. Something is about to take place because you don't know what I've gone through. You don't know what I had to deal with. You don't know the demons I had to fight. But somebody throw your hand up and say, it's all right now. God's going to take me through it and he's going to bring me out of it. I wish I could get some Shabbakas in the building. Yeah. Shabbat means to give praise to God. But as you Shabbat God, it also means to confuse the enemy. Is there anybody in the room that feels like confusing the enemy? Is there anybody in the room that feels like confusing the devil? I'm not supposed to be here. But thanks be to God that gives me the victory. Through my Lord Jesus Christ, I can dance. Y'all ain't hear what I'm saying. I got two choices. I can complain or I can dance. But my leg is broke. I'm going to dance on brokenness. Y'all don't want me to preach this here today. I'm dancing with broken bones. I'm dancing with disappointment. I'm dancing with hurt. I'm dancing with pain. But the more I dance, the better it gets. I don't see nobody 
everybody dancing. I promise you if you would shuffle, if you would move, God would move on your behalf and turn things around for you. It's about to get better. There is a praise that's about to hit this house that's going to destroy demons and devils. Where are the dancers? If you can't dance, bounce. If you can't bounce, leap. If you can't leap, walk. But do something. I got to get my miracle. I got to get my breakthrough. I got to get my healing. Somebody say yes. Yeah, I gotta get my breakthrough. I gotta get my breakthrough. Pull on your neighbor, say neighbor. I got to get my breakthrough. And if it takes all night long, I'm gonna dance until I get my breakthrough. I hope you dance. I hope you dance. Dance through your storm. Dance through your crisis. Dance through the hardship. I hear the Lord saying that this is an hour of miracles. Touch the woman of God and tell her to listen to this. This is your hour for God to turn it for you. Wealth like never before. You think it's good now? Give God just 12 more months. Your business deals are coming to pass. Ah, Jesus. Ah, Jesus. I'm waiting on a breakthrough. I'm waiting on the breakthrough. And until it happens, I'm going to dance. As we sat by the rivers of Babylon, there we wept when we remembered Zion. And those that had carried us away desired of us a song. But we said amongst ourselves, how can we sing the songs of Zion in a strange land? And they hung their harps in the willow tree. But I got a question for you. How can you not sing your song in a strange land. It's your song that's going to deliver you. It's your song that's going to set you free. I feel like preaching, y'all. It's your song. Somebody shout and say, I got a song that the angels can't sing. I've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb and everything that God promised me. I'm about to get it. Somebody scream in here. I promise I'll close with this. I went to a church to preach. In New Jersey. When I finished preaching, the pastor said to me, tomorrow, I'm going to take you to the car dealership. Bishop, and I'm going to buy you a car. I said to him, wow, thank you. But I don't need a car. He said, well, I'm going to buy you a car anyway. Because the Lord told me to bless you with a car. But I don't need a car. He said, please don't rob this opportunity from me to bless you the way that God says so. Why would I buy a car when I made a commitment to dig some wells in Guyana, Haiti, and the Congo. 
And to dig a well is a thousand U.S. dollars to dig it. And when they were asking about the wells, me with my crazy self jumped up and said, I'll do 200 of them. You ever said something and didn't realize it? Wait a minute here. Who said that? I'm going to do this. I ain't $200,000. I ain't got it. Well, I said it. He didn't buy me a car. So I said, whatever the car costs, fifteen, dollars $20,000, $30,000, I'll take it and there's 30 wells. Make my commitment. I don't say that to him. He's thinking in my mind, so I can't talk him out of it. Get up in the morning, we drive way out into Hackensack. Trees on both sides, then we turn the corner. I'm not moved. I got a nice car at home. Got a few cars. Not bragging, just, just, just blessed. It turns a corner, and we pull up into the Rolls Royce Bentley dealership. Then I set up. This is a different type of a car. Hey, hey, woo! Put the newspaper down. Bentleys and everything. Bentleys and Rolls Royce and Phantoms are all there. We pull up into it. And I put my hand on the door to open up, and the pastor said, Uh uh, don't get out of the car. If you get out of the car, they won't take you serious. This place is by appointment only. The guy walked over to the car. Opened up the doors to the car and says to me, Bishop Bloomer, is that correct? I said, yes. He said, follow me. I want to take you to show you a selection of cars that is in your color scheme. Your favorite colors is black, red, green, and yellow. They took me on a golf cart, rolled me to the back of the lot, and whoa, there it was. Black on black. I felt the anointing of a car. He said, would you like to have anything to eat? He took me in this sitting parlor and they got a buffet set up. Is this a car dealership or is it a restaurant? picked out the car he said do you want to drive it off the lot do you want it to be delivered the pastor said we want it delivered to his house two weeks later the doorbell rings flatbed is there and the car is on the flatbed pulled up at the front door in the roundabout of my house oh yeah I come a far away from the projects it ain't A, B, and C no more. It's my own community now. Hallelujah. And I said, put the car. He said, no, no, no. Do you have any water? Do you have any water? See, do you have a water hose? I said, yes, right over there. Turn around. They got buckets out. They filled the buckets with water. And they said, we'll call you in a few moments. It's going to take us a few minutes to get the car situated. So I went there. 20 minutes later, they was ringing the doorbell again. Ding. They took the car off. Rolled it in front of my house, took apostle buckets of water, splashed it on the floor, and took sparkles and threw it on the floor. 
and had these little boxes that they opened up and music was playing out of the box. And then when I step out, there was the car. The music was playing and the sparkles and the lights and everything like that was on the car. And my mind was blown. Hallelujah. Wow. I drove the car one time, put the grandchildren in it. They was excited. They thought it was a rap video. Yo, Pop, what's up? took that car down to the Bentley and Rolls Royce dealership in Cary, North Carolina and sold it. Lost $50,000 off the deal with them just driving it from one location to the next. And had enough money to dig the wells and a few extra dollars to buy filters for the wells that was dig, dug and got contaminated. The pastor called me and he says, let me share this with you, Bishop Roma. The Lord spoke to me and told me to sow into your ministry $400,000. But we were going through an audit and the deacons said it wouldn't be a good idea. But one of the ways that we could bless you was to purchase this car and the Holy Spirit said you would know what to do. Oh, yeah, the Holy Spirit working. He said, my itinerary cannot be handled by Delta or American or U.S. Air. So I was believing God for something. When I released this, the Lord had a pastor from Texas to call him in New Jersey and seed his aircraft into the life of the preacher. The pastor who gave his hawker to my friend in New Jersey, Kenneth Copeland and them gave him a G5. What's about to happen in this season in your life is that the toil is over. You are going to have a need and God is going to send people with substance. to release that thing. Every heavy weight that is on your shoulders that always accompanies the vision, let it go tonight. Let it go. Let it go. People are going to walk up to you and put stuff in your hand. You're going to say, where is this coming from? It's coming from God. Because whatever he orders, he pays for. I'm sorry, I talked too long tonight. Thank you so much for having me. The preceding message was brought to you by Kingsword Everywhere Nigeria. We are located at Kingsword Auditorium, Etel Avenue, behind NNPC Filling Station, First Bank Bus Stop, off Kudarat Abiola Way, Argun, Lagos. Email KMI Africa at kingsword.org. Telephone 234 810 0000640.